Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everyone to the Find Your Leadership Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Nettling, coming to you from Roswell, Georgia. The goal of this podcast is to bring topics and guests that will empower you to take your business to the next level. Today, I am so excited to have Bob Wheeler as my guest. Let me tell you a little bit about Bob. He says, as a man of true integrity with infectious energy, he is on a crusade for personal growth cross-pollination with his accounting practice to create a new approach to personal finances. His passion is to help others gain insights about how their emotions trigger financial decisions. Combining finances with behaviors, Bob explores his personal concept of creating a healthy relationship with money in his book. The Money Nerve, Navigating the Emotions of Money, and his online course, Mastering the Emotions of Money, and his podcast, Money You Should Ask, and his latest endeavor, Financially Fit Kids with a Z book series. Bob also conducts Radical Abundance and Money at its core seminars. So core spelled C-O-R-E capitalized. So there must be a reason for that. Internationally and across the U.S., Bob is a core energetics and radical aliveness practitioner. Got to ask about that. While strengthening his accounting practice, Bob has simultaneously pursued his love of satire and ventured into the realm of stand-up comedic. <laughs> I love it. Yes, you read that right. He is. <laughs> he's had for 30 years helping his clients has distilled a concoction of warmth, humor, information, motivation, and budgeting directives that he offers to anyone with financial concerns. He is the founding partner at Wheeler and Vi CPA and currently the CFO for the world famous comedy store. Our theme today, the money nerve, money and emotions. Please welcome Bob Wheeler. So Thank you, Vicky. comedy, comedy, <laughs> look at you. Look at me. Well, I'm, it's all crazy. It's crazy. It's great to be here. Great to be here today. <laughs> it's so funny. When um, in my Toastmaster world here in Georgia, we have a one of our um, past district leaders w- works for an accounting firm. And every year they put on the funniest accountant. <laughs> and I worked for 10 years for an accounting firm. And I just thought, there is no way that these guys are going to be funny. But yes, you do have that satirical humor, that set, uh, that wit that makes us all laugh. Gotta have it. Although I will say I've been at a couple of 
uh, accounting meet seminars where they've asked mm -hmm. me to do some comedy. And if you don't tell the accountants it's comedy, they just start <laughs> taking notes. And, and uh. it was so, I was like, you got to tell them. They're like, no, we're going to surprise them. I'm like, yeah. And they literally <laughs> just started taking notes and they were like, wait a minute. What? <laughs> wait, this was LOL. You have to. <laughs> yeah. LOL. <laughs> All right. So let's get started. Where do you call home? So I call Los Angeles, California home. Although I did grow up in Tennessee, Clarksville, oh. Tennessee, but I've been in Southern Cal for gosh, 30, 35 years. Uh, it's, yeah. And it's been pretty awesome. Tennessee is a great place to live. Love it. So that kind of leads nicely into just tell us a little bit. I mean, I gave a great background for you, but tell us a little bit about your backstory. Um, you know, how yeah. you got from A to B. <laughs> ah, exactly. Well, interestingly enough, I uh, planned on never leaving Tennessee. I was going to go to college, be a lawyer, uh, have a little 10 acre farm in Memphis and never go any further. Uh, I got into college decided I didn't like some of the lawyers that I met. And even though I took all my constitution law and everything, I was also taking accounting to help my grade point average because in high school, a friend of mine said, I think you would do well at this. And I did really well. So I was like, Oh, easy. A. And so never planned on that being my, uh, my path, uh, towards the end of my college career, I realized, you know what, this is something I can do. It's easy. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought you had to work at stuff hard, like, and to get paid for it. But uh, accounting was something just came to me. And uh, so started doing that. I was working mm -hmm. for the uh, Hilton Airport Convention Hotel uh, right out of college. And we had a huge snowstorm. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go to California for a couple of years, uh, stay with my grandparents, and then I'll head back. And uh, mm -hmm. then I stayed and I stayed and I stayed. <laughs> and, and here I am. And so... Yeah, California sort of became my new home, and uh, it's, been, it's been great. I've been doing accounting, comedy, and working on my passion to normalize conversations around money because there's so much um, – there's a lot of entertainers out here. I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, artists, and stuff, and I just kept seeing all this sabotage as well as looking at my own personal story where I had my own money beliefs that yeah. were self-sabotaging and uh, – Decided yeah, to write think, about it. I think most of us have those. <laughs> Absolutely. So how do emotions impact financial decision-making? Well, it's so interesting because when I speak at brokerage houses to financial advisors, people will say, money and emotions, what are you talking about? Mm. Right? Money's money. Two plus two is four. The thing is, how do you feel about that? <laughs> right? Yeah, right. And when... so... <laughs> It, it's it's so it's been surprising to me that a lot of um, folks uh, don't see the connection between mm -hmm. emotions and money, and a lot of it's unconscious. But the best way I, I illustrate that is I ask people, how do you split a bill at a restaurant with a group of ten people? Oh, good God! <laughs> and let me tell you, that brings up emotions. <laughs> to make that ten ladies, it's even worse. <laughs> right? I didn't have the wine. I didn't have dessert. <laughs> You ordered double, right? And <laughs> yeah. some and some people go hide in the bathroom or they leave early and forget to pay. I, I've seen all of it. Yeah. Um, and so emotions, they do keep us from moving forward sometimes. Mm -hmm. They uh we allow them to self-sabotage. 
I've had clients that change jobs just to avoid having to uh, do public speaking as a manager of a department. Please right? send them my way, send them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so there's just so many places where um, we might define success as a certain way. And then if we mm. don't hit that mark, we're a failure and we're our own worst critics. And so to start to understand how fear, self-worth, all of those things come into play when we're making a financial decision. And I think the emotion probably comes in a whole lot harder and stronger when you ain't got the money. Yeah. <laughs> you, might, sure. you might be floating out good, you know, I got lots, I got lots. And then when that's not the case. It definitely gets amplified. Mm -hmm. So how did you create financially fit kids? Well, you know, one of the things for me is it's just been this mission of financial literacy. And, mm. and so I was aware that a lot of people don't talk with their spouses. They, their parents didn't talk with them about money growing up. And again, this isn't um, judgment on my parents because most, most folks didn't know. Um, but I wasn't taught basic basic financial literacy, um, as well as healthy boundaries, saying no. If mm -hmm. I made, if my parents said, what do you decide? Like whatever I picked, I had to live with it. I didn't know I could actually change my mind or say, I need to think about it. And so I wanted to create these books um, for young kids, four to six, four to seven, that have stories like the first book is about um, a kid that wants a dog. And who doesn't want a dog? It's a dog. But then you've got to pay for the dog. You've got to play with the dog. <laughs> you've got to, uh, there's all kinds of expenses. You've got to feed a dog. Doctor and, bills of a dog. And the doctor bills, right? And so ultimately, you know, this kid wants the dog, but after he babysits a family dog for a couple of weeks and realizes all that's involved, he decides, well, I want a dog, but not right now. Because sometimes we don't understand the impact of our decisions. And so we just go, yeah, that's what I want. Oh, I didn't know these things would happen. And so I really wanted to write this book series with kids from all walks of life. There's immigrant kids, there's adopted kids, there's mm -hmm. single parents, there's all these different kids that come together with their different perspectives and they're learning about having a dog, yeah. responsibilities, advocacy for others that can't advocate for themselves learning to start a business. Um, one of the stories that the next book is about a kid who starts selling cookies um, at school and it's a really great profit margin until her parents realize that she's taken all the ingredients from their restaurant and uh, that there's a cost, right? And yeah. so there's a teachable moment there. And, and it's those kinds of things to just help kids start to have these conversations. And at the end of each book, there's a series of questions that parents, teachers, um, adults can ask kids to engage in their current personal life to make it more real. Yeah, it's so very true. I work with a teacher who is outstanding and he teaches sixth, seventh and eighth graders entrepreneurship ah, in a public school. And he has about 40 of us entrepreneurs that help. So I teach 
the public speaking and helping with pitches and things, we just had a Shark Tank first session and they just came with our ideas and we were to advise them. And so the kid had his idea of what he was going to be doing at, at, to create a clothing line he was going to design. And so I said, well, where, uh, what's your cost factor and, and where are you going to get the money to start up? And he said, mom, <laughs> <laughs> I said, it's mom, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got to notify the bank. Yeah, so to him, it was like, well, who else is going to get you? Right, exactly. Right, (laughs) so cute. So why do we need financial therapy? And and what does a healthy relationship with money look like? Yes, so uh, the reason I think we all need a little bit of financial therapy is because most of us uh, unconsciously make financial decisions. We don't necessarily know what's triggering us. And so sometimes we may be doing something, um, overspending to fill a void, uh, trying to impress other people, uh, things that we're not really aware that we're doing. And so the, the more we can get really clear about our relationship, mm-hmm. um, healthy or not, where right. do we self-sabotage? Where do I leave out parts um, that don't feel comfortable to talk about. Um, and, and I've, I've worked with a lot of people who will, will lose a business instead of walking away from it because they don't want their parents to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I had a woman that just kept self-sabotaging every, she'd get her business just booming, making so much money. And, and then she would just run it into the ground. And when we talked it through, I said, you know, I've seen this happen three or four times over the course of the last 12 years. She, the way she knew her mom loved her was when her mom rescued her from her, her failing business. Oh, wow. And oh, my goodness. So I said, maybe we could just ask mom if she loves you and not go through <laughs> all the drama. <laughs> you know? And But if we're not aware of it, if we're not yeah. self-reflecting, if we're not digging and trying to understand, oh, that came from when I was five and I had this shaming moment around money mm-hmm. or I was embarrassed because I didn't have new clothes whatever it might be these things from our past oh yeah shape who we are today and we don't always know what's driving it yeah like for me i keep my pantry full because i came from a family that had um my mom didn't work until i was in high school and my dad was a postal worker had three jobs and we had six kids and yep. we had a hundred dollars to buy us food for a week. Yeah. And I had times when, you know, it was close. <laughs> so I always have, and I know it's from that. I know it's that, that emotional, I don't need all that there, no. but it, it's like a pain. If I see the fridge or the, the pantry's empty. Yeah. And I totally relate to that. People laugh and I, I don't do it as much, but I used to go into people's houses to make sure we had, there was food because yeah. I grew up five kids uh, money was very tight. Uh, our parents dipped into our savings. So what was the point of saving? Cause mom yeah. and dad are going to take it. And I have enough food to last me months <laughs> because yeah, me too. I have that's <laughs> it's coming, it's coming. Um, and so for everybody it's different, but I totally resonate with, uh, yeah. stocking 500 pantries worth of food. <laughs> um, and you know, so, but, and with that, looking at all that stuff helps us to have a healthy relationship with money. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we're multimillionaires. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean um, like I've got all the assets in the world. It means I'm living within my means. Mm-hmm. I'm 
I'm hopefully finding joy and gratitude in what I do have. And I'm looking at my life for my experiences, my, my deeper authentic relationships mm -hmm. um, that I'm able to, to live within my means without stress. Um, and, and it doesn't mean that I have to have $6 million and that everybody must be impressed. And then after I get the 6 million, I got to do this, yeah. and, you know, do this and do that. So really just starting to be okay with what I have and seeing the wonder in what I do have. And, yeah. And, the, yeah. And, and, you know, we always talk about the people around us, you know, I always talk about the, you know, the people you have at your table that maybe you should ask to leave. Right. And I think this is an area where that's kind of important too, because if you are okay with your circumstances, that you are happy, that you don't need anything more than you've got, then why should you let somebody else goad you or embarrass you or um, stress you out to, to have more just because they do or that's what they want? Yeah, absolutely. And I always say, you know, to my to my folks that are trying to keep up with the Joneses, mm -hmm. maybe you don't even like the Joneses. Maybe they're not <laughs> maybe they're not even great people. Maybe I don't really care what the Joneses think. You yeah. know, sorry to the Joneses out there. But yeah. uh um are the so, Joneses even happy? <laughs> they might not be. Yeah. Uh it might be a facade on their part. Yeah. And so yeah, learning to just be more joyous in what we do have and stop this this comparison thing that takes us nowhere, but yeah, down. For sure. So what happened in Africa that changed your belief around money? Yes. Yeah, so when I went to Africa, I was still of the mindset that we are our accomplishments. That's how I was socialized. Mm -hmm. You got to do, you got to do, you got to be, you got to be. Right. And as soon as you do that, you can't take a breath because you're only as good as your last accomplishment. So you don't really get to sit for long because you got to move to the next thing and you got to yeah. move to the next thing. And so like, you've got to have the fancier car. You've got to drive a nice car. You've got to have it. You've got to have the newest whatever. And mm -hmm. so that was really where I was coming from because I was still like on that hamster wheel. Yeah. And when I got to Africa, uh, I was in Tanzania. The average income at the time was $100 a year. And these people were incredibly happy. Yeah. They, uh, I ran a marathon there and people ran barefooted or in dress shoes. And they were incredibly happy. They would have given me the last Coke, the last mm -hmm. shirt off their back. And I kept saying, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> How can you be happy? You don't have material things. You don't have accomplishments, right? It really, I, I couldn't get over how generous they were, yeah. uh, how alive they were in spirit. And I, I, it just, I kept going. And, and what I realized was what was wrong with me. Right? Yeah. And it wasn't again, again, it wasn't what was wrong with me. It was, oh, this is how I was socialized. Mm. And I thought everybody should be thinking the way I do, mm. which is the, the joy and benefit of traveling is to actually it see is. multiple perspectives. Yeah. Um, and when I realized that maybe my happiness wasn't tied to me pursuing all kinds of accomplishments, but actually stopping and living my life and looking mm -hmm. at the relationships that I had, look at the amazing travel experiences I had and really shifting my whole perspective to gratitude. Yeah. Um, it, it changed everything because they were so grateful. They would take my trash and recycle it, you know, 
And as Americans, sometimes we're a little bit, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need new things and throw that up mm-hmm. and didn't see the value. And, and so I really appreciated their, their, their spirit of gratitude. Oh, so good. So you're a finance expert. How and why did you get involved in comedy and become the CFO <laughs> of the world famous comedy <laughs> store? Well, That's you know, got to be a great story. <laughs> Well, it's a trippy story. It's a unique story. I, you know, I came to LA and I was taking some comedy classes because people would always say, oh, you're funny. And (laughs) I used humor as a way to deflect and also Mm. as a way to educate with my clients. You Mm. know, I used humor to tell a story that sounds similar to them, but it's not them. And then Mm. they would say, oh, I think I do that. Oh, maybe you do. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I didn't even get the connection, right? (laughs) But it's a great way to disarm people, right? And people, people, um, you know, can laugh a little. And so I was taking these classes and some good friends of mine said, you know, Bob, you keep taking all these comedy classes. When are you actually going to do something? Like get out and do something. Nobody's going to discover you doing comedy in the back office of the accounting firm. (laughs) What? And so I started doing stand, I started doing sketch comedy, started doing um, stand-up comedy and I got, part of this troupe. People thought it was funny, started doing stand-up. It went really well. And I was running a show at the comedy store. Um, a couple of years I was running the show and unbeknownst to me, the comedy store was in financial yeah. straits. They were, it was bad. Mm-hmm. And Mitzi, they're not finance people. <laughs> they, <laughs> they're comedians. They were, they're comedians. And <laughs> Mitzi, Mitzi Shore was a woman in a you know, the comedy world is a lot of men. And so Mitzi was fighting against that because she was this female owner Mm. and um, people didn't want to see her succeed. And so she called me up and she said, Bob, this is Mitzi Shore and the store's in trouble and you got to help us out. You got to help us out. And I'm like, I'm a comic, Mitzi, I'm a comic. I just, you know, the accounting pays the bills, but uh, comedy is what I wanted to do. And Basically, they had about $100,000 worth of tax liens from mm. payroll that had not been paid. Wow. And the IRS was getting ready to shut their doors. Mm. And she had had some health issues and people had just sort of bailed on her and she was just sort of struggling. And because all my friends were comics and I was a comic, Comedy Store had three showrooms, which most clubs don't have. And I thought, yeah. I got to help. Yeah. I didn't really want to, but I got to help. And so what happened was, yeah, I got involved. And because I was a CPA, the banks took me serious. Um, the IRS took me serious and I worked out payment plan and I was able to get some refinancing and, awesome. and, you know, and so it took us a, a bit of time to get out of that uh, hole, yeah. but I can say today the club is thriving. When the pandemic hit, we had money in the bank to pay the, the employees awesome. for a year and a half out of our reserves. And mm-hmm. so I feel really privileged and honored to have been with the with the club so long and hoping, you know, to know that I got to make an impact. So that That's was awesome. Such yeah. a good story. Yeah. <laughs> and you would have hated to see the comedy store go. Oh, my God. I couldn't let it go under my watch. Can you yeah, imagine? No. Yeah, the comedy store failed. Bob Wheeler. Bob Wheeler drove mm-hmm. it into the ground. So, no, I had to make it succeed. <laughs> Sure. So it is time now for us to give the rapid fire. I have four okay. questions for you. So you talk about baby steps a lot. Yeah. What happened in Nepal when you were trekking to base camp Everest? Uh, 
So I had been before. Um, I hadn't gone to base camp, but I'd been to Nepal. We didn't get there the first time, but I was determined to get there the second time. I brought up some friends of mine, and the first day we started hiking, and everybody said, uh, you know what? This is a lot. Let's just go back and stay in Kathmandu and get massages and call it a day. <laughs> I'm like, I spent a lot of money. I'm getting my money's worth. I'm going to base camp. But I didn't know what to do. And so in that moment of panic, I said, hey, you know what, everybody? Let's do this. Let's just negotiate to hike another hour. And at the end of each hour, we're going to decide as a group whether we continue or we go back. Yeah. And we did not focus on getting to base camp. We only focused hiking an hour. And so we did that for three days. We would hike every hour. We would stop. I had a little timer on my clock, on my phone. And, and that's what we did. And by the third day, everybody was like, all right, we can do two hours. We can do five hours. Ultimately, we made it to base camp. But because we did it in baby steps, it was digestible. I only had to get to that that rock or that tree, not that I had to get four mountains over to get to base yeah. camp. And so I just found that for most of us, when we can take things in digestible bites, yeah. it's so much more palatable. It's easier to swallow. And we don't have to do it all in a day. Yeah. We, we've got to learn to get from A to B instead of A to Z. Yep. That's something that all entrepreneurs... <laughs> need to remember that you don't have to do it all in a day or yeah. that, you know, if the first year is when a lot of people quit, yeah. but if you just do that, you know, I'm just going to see how it goes this four weeks, <laughs> you know, just yeah. a month. Let's just see how month. it goes. Let's see how it goes. Oh, okay. I didn't uh, get a jail or anything. So let me do another. <laughs> exactly. I'm still yeah. here. <laughs> so I think that's true in, in everything, even, you know, weight loss or um, I'm going to change a habit. If you just right. do little things every single day, it just right. happens. Yeah, absolutely. So what is one of the biggest challenges that you've ever had to overcome besides going to that base camp? You know, I think um, probably the biggest challenge I ever had was having to um, do my personal work, mm. actually having to look at all the warts and all the places mm. where in my mind I wanted to be this person who could go out and speak and and impact people. But the reality was I was a terrified person. Mm. I had experienced a lot of trauma as a kid. Mm. Uh, a lot of my decisions were is this going to kill me? And it felt mm -hmm. very real in those moments. And so I, one day I, I just, I once, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was just getting this message. You need to be ready. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what I was needed to be ready for, but I started doing Toastmasters. I started taking uh, kickboxing and martial arts. And I just started trying to figure out all the things that I was afraid of and started just going, I'm going to move towards that one. I'm going to move towards that mm. fear. I'm going to move. And it was actually terrifying. And, uh, but for me, and I think for all of us, we have to go through the fire, not around it. Mm -hmm. uh, if we want to come out on the other side. And so for me, that was, I literally, the first time a friend said, I want you to do this workshop. I think it'll be life changing. I said, yeah, I'm going to die. That's going to be the life changing. And she said, I'm going to go to this workshop with you. And I'm going to sit outside so that, you know, you're going to be okay. Yeah. And that's what literally happened. So I overcame a lot of fear. Um, mm. If you had talked to me 10 years ago and asked me to say my name in a circle, I would have been like, oh, my name is... like I could barely talk. <laughs> <laughs> and so 
really having to push through all that, I think was probably the biggest challenge and the most rewarding. I always say that you, you can't ever know true joy until you know fear and, yeah. uh, and disappointment. And um, so you have to get through it. And I think people tend to try to run away from failure and fear instead of just going into it. I'm, I'm afraid of heights and I was deathly afraid of heights when I was younger, but now one of my favorite things is fly. I haven't mastered actually flying a plane, but I I love to fly and I've done things, pushed myself to go places that are high that I know I, I don't want to be on <laughs> as long as, as long as I don't end up throwing up or something like that, then I'm good. But um, so roller coasters are still not my friend. I will go uh, on them, but they're still not my friend. Love them. But, love but them. I, I, yeah, I know my husband does too. So it's tough for him. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, because, I, you know, I think that's important that you do yeah. push yourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, we talked about your biggest challenge, but what do you think is your greatest accomplishment to date? My greatest accomplishment to date, I think I would say that I'm really proud of the fact that I built an accounting firm from nothing mm. into over a thousand clients. We have 15 staff people. And about three or four years ago, I brought on a business partner. And we had to move offices. Our building forced us to move to the next floor. And I was down in my old offices that I had built and I had just expanded and we doubled capacity. And I was looking at everything and she came down uh, to get something because we were in the same building. And she said, what's going on? I said, well, I'm just sort of sitting here um, taking all this in. I started out with one and a half employees with folding tables and it's built into this thing. And she said, you know, I want to tell you said, I could never do what you did. Like I bought into this practice, but you started a practice from nothing Nothing. and built it. She said, I can come in and help make it better. But what you did, not mm. a lot of people can do. And I, and I feel really proud of that because it wasn't necessarily how I envisioned it. And yeah. I just focused on, okay, I've got some more clients. Let me build some more staff. Let me expand the offices. It organically happened. Um, but I have to say, I'm, I'm really proud of that. We have a lot of clients that have been here with me 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. And we we have so many referrals that we are in the yeah. position that we get to return, turn people away if necessary. And, um, you know, for me, I think that was like, I feel really proud of that. Yeah. And you use the baby step theory. And I use the baby step theory. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. So now what's the next journey? that you have? What's the next path? Well, uh, we've got the podcast going on. We've got the online course. I've got the children's uh, financial literacy series that I'm loving. Um, And I actually, the the newest endeavor is um, we're, we've just launched a clothing line called Hero Basics. Oh, Um, very cool. Yeah. We're just, I feel like the world needs more heroes. And so we're really working on cultivating that concept of we're all heroes. We're mm-hmm. all somebody's hero, mm-hmm. um, heroes in training. And so we've got a line of clothes yeah. for kids and, and adults and just, and, and dogs um, that really and just, dogs. and dogs, you can't forget the dogs, no. eventually the cats, but really just trying to embody and, and encourage people to, to find that hero spirit, a little mm. more compassion, um, helping people that need help. And um 
So I'm excited about that. We've gotten a lot of really uh, positive feedback. And so we've mm. just launched that this, this actually this week. So I'm a, a two time a participant in Darren Hardy's hero's journey. Ah. And, and that actually um, is what inspired me to launch um, a couple of my training courses on leadership because I was so inspired with what he was teaching and it was so in al aligned with how I found being a leader was effective. So, um, so we have that in common. We both love the hero aspect of it. Absolutely. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Joseph Campbell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the hero's journey. And, and so I really studied Joseph Campbell and, and his whole series, um, and it's just, yeah. we all need that. We all need the hero uh, yeah. and we all have to be our own hero, mm -hmm. you know? Yep. So I'm a, I'm a Oma, I'm a grandma. And um, so I'm trying to be that hero to my grandbabies too. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. They need it. They need I know it. they do. They do. They do. They do. All right. It's time now for me to share my screen. So if you are just listening in, you should have gotten a paper and pencil earlier than this, but if you haven't, go and grab that right now. I'm going to share my screen, but I will read for you the website information. You can get all this information on my YouTube channel. If you've not subscribed, you should, please do. Um, also on my website, find your leadership confidence. So we have the moneynerve.com. That's the T-H-E-M-O-N-E-Y-N-E-R-V-E.com. TheMoneyNerve.com is his website. Social media, he's on LinkedIn, finding by his name, Bob Wheeler. Facebook is The Money Nerve. Instagram, Money You Should Ask. And YouTube is Money You Should Ask, initial capped. Twitter is The Money Nerve. Pinterest, just search for Bob Wheeler. And um, TikTok, he is at Bob Wheeler. And I'm going to let him talk to you a little bit about a quiz that he has that's available for you to grab. So we have this free quiz and you can go to testyournerve.com, testyournerve.com and sort of explore your money and emotions relationship. Uh, so many people will say, yeah, yeah, I don't have any, I don't have anything around money. And so the testyournerve.com is a great way to go in and just sort of explore your tolerance level for risk or for saving or mm. for spending. And it just sort of gives you an assessment of, of where you land um, with your money and emotions. So, um, and, and it, they're also, if they're at the website, there's a lot of free resources because awesome. we do like to give free resources for people that are, um, you know, wanting to better their financial, their financial literacy. Perfect. So, Perfect. So it has been a pleasure having you on. Um, lots of fun talking to you, Mr. Bob Wheeler. Thank you for sharing your stories, your great tips, your information that is on your website and all those social media locations. Please do take advantage of his quiz. I believe that everybody has money emotions and they're just hiding it if, they're, <laughs> if they don't admit to it. So if you don't do anything, just take it for kicks. So please exactly. go to themoneynerve.com to get that information. But Bob, thank you so much for being a guest on the episode. And um, as always, I remind everyone that life is a journey and it's up to you to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Nettling signing off. 
Thank you for tuning into the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling, where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast.